Um, I had a lot of sisters uh, growing up in, in uh, my home. And uh, one of the things about having a lot of sisters, at least at that time, was uh, home ec classes in the public schools. And, uh, and, and our, our, my sisters would be, uh, would be given homework assignments to, to make some of their own clothing. And so it was a common scene. Uh, for us to see a fabric laid out on the, the large dining room table, the table that Gail and I uh, still eat off now, to see fabric uh, spread out across that, that uh, table and, and this very thin, um, uh, this, this thin um, paper, uh, the, the pattern, uh, pr- spread out and then taped, or, or rather uh, pinned to the fabric and then they would cut along the outline of that of that uh, of that uh, that pattern, and then sew the pieces together in the right way, and voila, you would have a you would have a, a skirt. It wasn't quite that easy. You had to know things like the bias of the cloth, and you had to be able to install zippers and all of that stuff. But but the the pattern part was 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 beautiful and simple and clear to see. This paper pattern gave you an idea of what the final product was going to be like. And this, this morning, as we continue with our series on the Holy Spirit, we're going to be looking at the, um, at the crossing of the Red Sea and God's deliverance of his people there. Think Charleston Heston, if that helps. And, um, and, and we'll, be, but we'll be seeing that, that that touches other places in the Bible as well that brings all of the scripture together to be seen as a great, a great exodus. In fact, in fact, one writer put it this way, the exodus, with all of its different applications, is the only thing that happens in the Bible. In other words, everything is an exodus. People in bondage, being set free, uh, and able to live with God in holiness and peace. It's the only thing that ever happens in the Bible. We think of creation. We saw this already in Psalm 136. The Spirit is hovering and, 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 and the wind is blowing and there is a separation of land and water because the Spirit is forming a place in the creation of the world, a place now distorted by sin and we look forward to the new temple that's coming but a place for God's people to dwell with God himself. We think of Jesus who rescues his people. The Spirit delivers us through him to the other side. So that great exodus is is the story that that the exodus we'll be reading today points points us to. We're going to look at the pattern. We're going to look at that that paper pattern laid out over the fabric on, on my dining room table. But we're thinking of the dress that's to be made. We think of the, the, the real product that is being formed. Well, I want to read a good bit of this passage, beginning at verse 10 of chapter 14, Exodus, second book of the Bible, um, chapter 14, and I'm going to pick up at verse 10. I want to read this in such a way that can encourage you to maybe hear it as if it's the first time. It is a shocking story. When Pharaoh drew near, 
the people of Israel lifted up their eyes and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Fear not. Stand firm. And see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You have only to be silent. The Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry land. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, his chariots and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. Then the angel of God, who was going before the host of Israel, moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was the cloud and the darkness. And it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land and the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on the right hand and on the left. The Egyptians pursued and went in after them into the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. And in the morning watch, the Lord in the pillar of fire and of cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptians into a panic, clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, Let us free from before Israel, For the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea that the water may come back over the Egyptians, upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots, and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. As the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen. Of all the host of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea, not one of them remained. 
And the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. The Holy Spirit rescues his precious people for his glory. We see the Holy Spirit at work in this passage. As we continue in our series on the Holy Spirit, we are looking at this point on how the Spirit, the Spirit rescues. He rescues those who are perishing. My first point this morning is not found in the text. It's found in why God is performing this great miracle. These people do not show themselves to be God's precious people, but they are. These These Israelites, with their hardened hearts and blind eyes so often, are God's precious people of the Old Testament. God, you remember, had heard their affliction. Chapter 3, verse 7. Having heard, he heard their affliction. And he came to their rescue, rescuing them from the Egyptian slavery. The rescue started, of course, in earnest with the Passover. The blood of the Passover lamb sprinkled on the doorpost of God's people. And the angel of death passed over those homes, but the homes that did not have the blood, the the homes of the Egyptians, the firstborn in each family, the firstborn of all the animals was taken. The death of those firstborn in every household is what catapulted Israel uh, in, out of Egypt. But after the people of Egypt had been released, it dawned on Pharaoh, what have we done? What have we done to allow our workforce to leave, to be out the door? And so they came roaring out uh, after the Israelites. And the Israelites are caught. Could God, would God rescue them? Their initial response to those questions is, of course, he will not. And they respond to Moses in, at best, what could be described as snitty ways. Um, Have you brought us out here to die? Were there no graves in Egypt? Did you have to bring us here in order to kill us? And this, of course, was just the beginning of their grumblings. After they were, they were taken out into the wilderness, they did, had no water. God provided water through a rock that was struck. They didn't, they didn't have food. God provided the manna. They got tired of the manna. God provided the quail. They were a complaining and quarrelsome people. The leadership, Moses, Aaron, was not to their liking. It was one long string of grumbling. Why do I point that out? Because these people are still... God's precious people. This is called God's electing grace, not based on the merit or the the 
the character of those whom God has chosen. It is God's electing grace. And dare we say that God has chosen a ragamuffin group of people to save. Not those who are successful. Morally, the winners. Those who need grace and need it desperately. Kids, I want to mention a verse out of the Bible that I want you never to forget. Never, ever to forget. It is Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 6 through 8. And in that passage, the Lord, the Lord is speaking to his people and he is saying, Did I save you because you were more numerous than other nations? No, that's not why. I saved you even though you were the smallest and the weakest. I had compassion on you, the Lord said, not because you were great, not because you were accomplished, but because I loved you. That's what's called a tautology. Imagine an equal sign, and, there, and, and the, the, the message on each side of that equal sign is really the same thing. I had compassion on you because I loved you. I have compassion because I love you. Not in you. It's because of my heart. God doesn't need us. This is called the independence of God. He doesn't need us. He existed forever. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He didn't need to create anything. He didn't need to create us. God didn't need us, but because of his infinite goodness and generosity, he wouldn't be without us. We are precious to him. So he set his affection upon us because he is love even when we are unlovable. Now, what is our response to this? It it must be one of humility. And, And I would ask you, if you have humbly accepted God's kindness. Remember, his relationship with us is not performance-based, at least not based on our performance. That's how we naturally think. It is hard for us to grasp this reality. And only the Spirit can bend your heart so that you will humbly accept the grace and the gift that God has given. It is a blessing It is free. It is based on Christ's performance and not ours. And the Holy Spirit is about rinsing out our hearts from our own boasting in what we do. A clear indicator, a clear indicator of whether we're understanding these things by the Holy Spirit is if we are relating to one another on this basis of grace and not performance looking past the, the frailty and the sins of those in our own homes where we can get kind of picky. And through the maturity that the Spirit brings, we are able to be people of mercy and kindness. Now, we are God's precious people, and he is saving us. But before we even get to that, I want you to notice as well that the Exodus pattern reminds us of creation. The things that we read here out of, out of uh, the 14th chapter of Exodus that we also saw in Psalm 136. Moses stretched out his hand uh, over the sea and, and several things happened. A wind occurred. 
The Lord drove back the sea with that strong east wind and formed that dry land. That's the second thing, dry land. There was a separation between the water and the land. Wind, separation, and dry land. Those are the things that we see in this passage that remind us of the creation story. Because at creation, the Spirit of God was hovering over the mass, the the disorganized mass before anything had taken shape and been given beauty and order. The Spirit of God was hovering over that lumpy ooze, dividing water from the land, again, for the purpose of building a home for people who would worship God, building a temple. And that's the same thing that God was doing with Israel as he was bringing them through the Red Sea and then through the wilderness and into the Promised Land. Church, some of the church fathers put it this way, that the very reason the earth was created was so that there would be a place for God's dearly loved people to live. We sometimes can think that the church is kind of an afterthought or, 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 or some residual or very small part of what's going on in the overall world. That is not the case at all. God created the world. He is calling his people. He is building his church. And he is going at once, some point to destroy the unbelieving remnant that is left over, people that are left over, and have a, have a new heavens and a new earth restored as an eternal temple where we will be in the presence of God together. Another way to put this is the church, the, the world exists so that the church could develop and she is the bride of Christ. The world exists so that God could create a bride for his son. That's how intimate our relationship is with God. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And again, Jesus chooses us, not because we're a beautiful bride already, but he is making us that way. Again, we are precious people, not because we are good, but he is making us good. You, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ and are one of his, are in his precious number. The second thing we see in this passage very very clearly is that God's precious people are in a very perilous position. What you may not have recognized at, at first reading here is that, that it is the Holy Spirit who is driving this story. He is the pillar of fire at night, the pillar of cloud in the day, and he is leading them, he is leading them, people, right into a trap. The shortest route would have been to take the northern route uh, out, of, out of Egypt and cross over into the Philistines' land but God said, I know what will happen if, that, if they do that. They will get psyched out by the Philistines. They will, they will not be ready for a battle, and they'll quit, and they'll just want to go back to Egypt. I've got a better plan. And so the, the, God, the Holy Spirit, leads them instead to come right up against um, the, the wilderness, through the wilderness to the Red Sea. And even Pharaoh, the Lord predicted this, even Pharaoh will say, well, I've got them now. They're pinned up against the side of the Red Sea. They're in the wilderness. They've got nowhere to go. I will follow them and, and crush them. Like a pincher, I will crush, crush them. So what's going on here? Of course, Israel wanted to go back to the land of the living dead in Egypt, but God said, I've got better plans for you. The Holy Spirit was rescuing from the death they would choose 
do you hear what I'm saying? The Holy Spirit rescues people from the death they would choose, given a choice. So the Holy Spirit is at work behind this movement of God's people. Well, this uh, big exodus that Jesus is operating rescues us from pearl as well. Remember, remember it is said in the Gospels that out of Egypt I have called my son. Uh, again, a, a son of Israel, uh, rescued, called out of Egypt. Um, we see, perhaps most clearly, in the Mount of Transfiguration, the Holy Spirit directing the Lord Jesus um, in his operation of rescue. In that Mount of Transfiguration, uh, where where Jesus appeared with Moses and with Elijah, and they were all wrapped up in the glory cloud. They were all wrapped up in this cloud of the, of the Spirit of God. And as they are speaking together um, in Luke's account, uh, they are speaking of his departure, which was to come out of Jerusalem. He would be crucified. He would be resurrected. He would be ascended. He would be... The, 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 uh, the departure was coming, but in the Greek language, that word there is exodon. Exodon. Jesus' exodus is coming. He is the Passover lamb whose blood frees us from death and from a justly deserved hell. And his resurrection is what defeats the power of death and the power of, of reigning sin. And we have that new life already if we are connected to him by faith. We have, that, we have already entered into eternal life. We don't have to worry about it. We don't have to worry about what's coming next. By faith, you have entered into this eternal life. Talk about security. And yet there is peril. There still is peril. Today's, we read from First Peter that uh, there is a roaring lion seeking to devour. Peter mentions suffering. We, we hear of that when we hear someone like Rich, Rich um, Gardner speak of what's going on in Africa. We consider what's going on in the Middle East. People are suffering for the, for the name of Jesus Christ. In the West, maybe it's not suffering, maybe not yet. In the West, there is a more subtle roaring, if you will. We are not in peril in the way that they are in many places in the world. And people believe that therefore God is, because we're not in peril, God is not to be feared, he is not to be worshipped, he is not to be obeyed. That is this, today's seduction. God is silent, he is weak, he is unimportant. And the church then is following the world's seduction where God's laws today, even in the church, some consider the laws, the standards, the, the way that God calls us to live are, are perhaps unkind or not fair or they're contrary to human flourishing. And that is a seduction that even children in our own church need to be alert to. Parents, you need to be alert to that. And from the pulpit, we teach of the beauty of God's design of sexuality. Not just because it is beautiful between a man and a woman, because it reflects actually the relationship between Jesus and his bride. That's beautiful. 
And any deviation from sex outside of a man and a woman in that relationship, that covenant relationship, distorts the beauty for which we were made. Nothing unkind about that. It is God's mercy. It is bigger than us. It points us to Jesus and the church. We are in a perilous position, even as God's precious people. But here we see the power of the Holy Spirit being unleashed on our behalf. And the Spirit helps in unexpected ways. The Spirit was the one leading them to that tight spot. And then here's the drama of it. The Spirit leading them up against the Red Sea and with the wilderness over here and, 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 the, and the Egyptian forces coming. And, and this is where we get the words that the Lord, the Lord gave. This, these are the marching orders of the Israelites. Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord. How's that, people? How's that to help you to fight? Fear not. Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord. The Lord will fight for you. And all you have to do is be silent. This is what, and I get these words from a writer by the name of Horton. Um, all, all I'm asking is for you to stand there and be quiet. Um, can you do that? The Lord is asking. Can you stand there and watch me save you? Of course, the spirit in the cloud uh, leads them to the water's edge. And remember, it had, it had moved from the front to the back behind the people in order to stand between the people of Israel and the Egyptians. And then the Lord had driven away that, the water uh, throughout the night, divided the waters, There was dry land through the sea, a wall of water on both sides. It's hard to imagine two million people pressing through that that tunnel. We don't know how wide it was. But God rescued his people. And did you notice these words? It is ascribed to the Holy Spirit, not just the the wind that that blows that that water out out of that pathway. But as the Egyptians pursued Israel, the Spirit caused panic. The Spirit made them fearful. And then the Spirit reached down and clogged up the wheels of the Egyptians. Horton puts it this way. The Spirit unscrewed the bolts so that the wheels fell off of the Ephesian chariots. The Holy Spirit personally and directly involved in this merciful salvation. The arrogant Egyptians had said, who is the Lord that we should let Israel leave Egypt to go out into the wilderness and worship God? That's what they said. This is what they say now. The Lord is fighting with them and against us. Once Israel was safely through, Moses gave his signal, and the waters flooded back and covered the Egyptians. For God had said, 
the Egyptians you see now, you will never see again. Actually, they did. They saw some corpses wash up on the seashore. Remember, uh, the story of Exodus is that paper, that paper pattern uh, over, the, over, the, over the cloth. And what this is telling us, that not just in this, this situation, in this exodus in, in Egypt, from Egypt, but in all of the world and in all of God's dealing with us, this is the pattern. God gets the glory and you don't. That's it. God gets the glory and you don't. He saves us. He saves his precious people through the power of the Spirit, through the blood and the resurrection of Jesus, so that he gets the glory and that when we don't. This was in the passage we read at the beginning of the service, 1 Peter chapter 5. God brings down the proud but exalts the humble. And Pharaoh's boasting died in his throat. You listen to people tell the story of how they came to know the Lord. And what you will hear invariably is there is some way in which the Holy Spirit clogged their wheels. There's some way in which the Holy Spirit was making life difficult. Not just perhaps something from the outside that was a pressure, but a pressure perhaps inside. I can't square it anymore. This, this living without my sins forgiven. I see that now and I need mercy. That's clogging up your wheels. Perhaps you, you're, you've been running your own life. You see your proud, your pride. You see yourself glorying and where that takes you. It shows you that you're in a perilous position and yet precious to God. And you see the power of God and the beauty and the glory of the cross. Because he, he loves you because he's great and not because you are. Humble yourself then and he will lift you up. The Spirit clogs your wheels. To rescue you, to bring you home. Well, the Spirit also works in you and me today. Those of us who are believing in Jesus and are heading on that journey to glory. He works in us too by clogging up our wheels. Do you hear what I'm saying? <laughs> he brings pressure and tension into our lives. Suffering takes us to the very end of our resources. One thing Moses said earlier in a section that we didn't read here, uh, Moses said there is no way that he was going to do it alone. He was going to go it alone, lead the people through the wilderness. This is what he said. If your glory doesn't go with us, kill us now. Just be done with it. If your spirit is not going with us, we're done. And yet Jesus gives that, the Lord gives that manna every day to his people in the wilderness to get them through. I, uh, I, I, I recently heard a friend um, who told in a very beautiful way the way the Spirit works in her life. Um, she was going through a particularly difficult time. And she was finding people, she was finding that it is difficult to love well. 
Again, loving someone is not the same as being nice and just getting along. To love someone well is difficult. Self-sacrifice, putting their needs first, not responding in anger, all those kinds of things. And she was coming to the end of herself and she prayed desperately and, and was encouraged by this word from God. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. And she remembered that. And it helped her for a second. And she remembered it again. And it helped her for another second. And another second. And then a minute. And then five minutes. And then another five minutes. We are in perilous times, even as believers. And we need Jesus that much. That manna from heaven. May the Lord grant us that sense of rescue, the reality of his rescue, wherever we're sitting just this day. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we are uh, grateful for the message of your um, you're, you're considering us, your, your precious children, that even though we are in a perilous place, you have rescued us through the power of the Spirit. And we pray, Lord, that you would strengthen each of us here with that sweet knowledge and that experience of the rescue of the Holy Spirit. We run to you with joy and with thankfulness. In the name of the Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen.